Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I have joining me today Whitney Webb here to discuss something that we've been kind of circling around on this channel and on her on her podcast and on her on the Unlimited Hangout and all this different stuff around the beginning of really this it's, to me it stems to Whitney's coverage of the election special that we discussed and the building of this white supremacist domestic terror concept by the United States government saying that we have this threat building and we don't know how to stop it and the continuity of that that ties in my opinion all the way to what's happening in Ukraine right now. And of course, with COVID right in the middle. Now, I think there's a very obvious connection to all of this. It doesn't mean that every part of this is exactly tied in, but it does seem to paint a really interesting picture of how I think. And I'm interested to hear Whitney's opinion, and I think I already know it, but that (laughs) there is an effort to blame the American people, at the very least framing that as a partisan divide, but really coming down to anybody challenging the narrative. And I think it's really about building this as what I believe is a false flag that started with January 6th. It start there, but ultimately this agenda did and how they've built it since. And the connection to Ukraine from January 6th all the way going forward. So I'm interested to hear her opinions on this. How are you today, Whitney? It's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing all right. Uh, balancing a, a book and a podcast yeah. and some other stuff with a, a small little man who's about to be three months old. Uh, in a couple of days and a spunky four-year-old, you know, yeah. I'm all right. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> well, that, I just, I always say that to people that are in that position, it's like, I, I, I'm blown away that people it just like myself with anything other than just my dog that I'm able to get this stuff done. So I can't even imagine <laughs> that people who have two kids flying around, but. Like well, not a lot of people it. do have really young kids, I guess, uh, working in this, in this field these days. I am mm-hmm. pretty sleep deprived. It's hard. But yeah, I, I do OK. Um, yeah, well, thank you for taking the time to be here today, because I'm you know, I, I, I hope people can continue to see that you deserve so much credit for this conversation. And I know you're always very humble about it. And you go, well, we were just predicting. And but but you, and which that's it's fair to point out that the predictions and they were predictions. And we explained that was because we thought and rightly so that we were going to be aggressively censored and might not be able to get these thoughts across later. That we were predicting, you more more or less were predicting. Right. Well, predictions and concerns, you know, because there's so many occasions where the intelligence community just basically tells you what they're going to do. Like today. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Cyber attacks are coming. Cyber attacks are coming, right? It's interesting. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's something else we should probably get in today. This whole thing about Ukraine and the cyber attacks are upon us. Uh, There Mm -hmm. was a. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, but Ann Ann Nurberger uh, of the NSA, who was appointed by Trump, but stayed on to Biden, even though everyone in the Trump administration was so bad, we have to clean house, except for a bunch of people uh, like Ann Nurberger, whose husband is on the executive council of APAC. Um, uh, She uh, gave something being like, Russia's probably going to conduct cyber attacks against uh, the U.S. because of the Ukraine situation. But, I mean, I think that's highly unlikely because of the fact that NATO has been very clear that cyber attacks will trigger Article 5, the big uh, war. So Russia would not do a cyber attack against the U.S. unless it wanted that wider war. Exactly. And this is the point that I try to make for people to think about all the time is, you know, these people have different agendas. And I wouldn't put past violence past any of them for even for all manner of reasons. But. There has to be an, a, a benefit to these people. I would even for the U.S. government. I've always said this many times in the last, the last so many weeks. As much as I point to all the crimes they've committed and actions and murder and children and whatever else, I still don't believe they would just arbitrarily murder a bunch of children for literally no reason. Like that, there's there needs to be some sort of a benefit to them. And then, of course, it's still just disgusting they would do it. But for, from Putin's perspective, 
to your point, there's no reason that he would do that knowing that that would trigger exactly what they want to happen. It just seems well, silly. Yeah, it's sort of a repeat of the same propaganda tools we saw in Syria where you could right. you could say exactly what you just said but replace Putin with uh, Bashar al-Assad. Exactly. And then, and I think Caitlin Johnstone is the one that I always remember really making a big joke about because it was silly. They came out and were like, basically, if anything happens, it's going to be Assad. But if it's not, then it's this. Like they just laid the table with no evidence. And it's exactly what we're seeing today. And New, uh, uh, is it, I'm, I'm, I get Newman stuck. Newberger? Newberger. Thank you. She came out and literally said, we don't have evidence. I mean, that's what she said. She's like, we don't have anything to back this up. <laughs> so hey, but... Thing. The evidence uh, instead shows that um, critical infrastructure in the U.S. is run by uh, a bunch of companies that are tied to foreign intelligence agencies, specifically Israeli intelligence, uh, Unit 8200, and other things, including critical infrastructure in New York. Their water system is controlled by the same people who uh, in Israel who created like Iron Dome stuff. Um, And then Cyber Reason that I wrote a whole series about uh, for Mint Press uh, back in, I guess, January 2020. And basically they were how I was like, okay, the 2020 election is going to be a total clusterfuck because they were simulating at the end of uh, a year before uh, the 2020 election, how it was going to be a clusterfuck with the FBI, uh, DHS and and all of these other groups. Um that's weird that foreign intelligence agencies would be conducting simulations with our intelligence agencies about how the 2020 right. election is going to be messed up. Um, well, and then it was uh, messed up. Um, and there was the transition integrity project and all of these different things. I mean, they sort of indicated that something weird was going to go on there um, and right. that it would be the focal point for something like January 6, which I know you wanted to talk about today. Yep. Uh, well, that well, is is basically, you know, was framed as the new 9-11 that Elizabeth Newman had predicted a year before the DHS lady. Um, And it's worth keeping in mind too, um, because I don't know how explicit we've made this recently, but in like the election special and that stuff, we definitely did. Uh, Like where Elizabeth Newman made that prediction and all of these guys from DHS and the FBI were talking about get ready for um, white supremacism, uh, terror and domestic terror. They were basically saying it's all, it it was really tied in with like anti-Semitism and a need to clamp down on things deemed anti-Semitic. Um, which more often than not means like uh, saying things like Israel should uh, not murder Palestinians right. um, or take their land and stuff like that. Right. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, um, I, it's, I, it's all tied up together. So, you know, um, a lot, I think a lot has been said about how extremist elements in Israel benefit a lot from the weaponization of anti-Semitism to a significant degree. So it's interesting to see all those um uh, moving parts in the same sort of uh, uh, larger picture going on. But anyway, returning to the, the cyber reason, um, they control the, they have a backdoor into all of the military's telecom infrastructure uh, and have a big partnership with what used to be Lockheed Martin's IT side. Um, secret, and then right? that the became Lidos. Uh, Lidos acquired that, which is the biggest IT contractor to the U.S. government. Cyber reason runs all their antivirus stuff. And the New York times has even admitted that uh, that's perfect for backdoors. And Israel has a history of backdooring critical U S infrastructure going back to the eighties with the promise scandal uh, right. software scandal, which, you know, is like Robert Maxwell and stuff. But the person who connected Robert Maxwell, who was working on behalf of Mossad to sell this bug software were Americans, Senator John tower and uh, Henry Kissinger. Of course. 
so you know uh, that we should just be like ah uh, this yeah. is a this is bad so um you know it doesn't out. seem like russia to me it seems like there's other uh forces at work there and at the same time israel's national uh, cybersecurity centers and stuff um are all super tied up with the wef uh, as right. i've uh, reported for tlav Uh, before pretty extensively i mean it's the whole cybersecurity uh uh, the policy agenda of the world economic forum is run by an ex-talpiot guy who used to be netanyahu's top uh like cybersecurity uh policy guy and he's the guy that was behind this 2012 shift in israel um about uh specifically for cyber related things previously conducted in-house by israeli intelligence to make front companies to conduct that that's the same year cyber reason was founded by a bunch of uh, israeli intelligence dudes and lior div the head of cyber reason uh with the whole ukraine conflict i don't know if you've seen has said get ready for cyber attacks from Russia uh, right. and uh, this recent hack of Microsoft where they were compromised he used that to say Microsoft can't protect you but we can uh, so all all you know it's almost like the little the ducks are lining up in a row uh, for right. this big cyber attack and by the way uh, for those that aren't familiar with my stuff uh, on this topic that I I, I did for TLAV um the the main agenda behind the cyber attack is what the U.S., what the Obama administration tried to do before and other governments have tried to do. But in the U.S., it was called driver's license for the Internet. You have to have a government-issued ID right. to access the Internet. So everything you do on the Internet is tied to that ID number of your government issued id yep. to access the internet and that's part of the whole digital id infrastructure um, it, has, as it's been planned the vaccine passport you know uh, people have talked about how that's you know a segue into this larger digital id agenda uh, exactly. but if you look at some of these these graphics put out by the people implementing that um or their partners i mean it's very clear that it's really your your ticket into society but specifically digital society the internet um yeah and then wait till they introduce the morality morality pills that they've talked about, or the psychological digital pills, or all these things yeah. that are floating around the side. Well, you know? I haven't heard that much about uh, those lately, uh, yeah. which is good. I'm glad they haven't gotten to that stage yet. If they actually do plan on on doing that, certainly we know sure. that there are people there that would like that to oh, happen. Yeah, They're just floating um, them right yeah now. but the digital ID floating stuff ideas. is definitely uh, rolling along really fast. Yeah. And there's uh, with your several crossover. states. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, well, before we get past cyber reason, I just wanted to, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's, it's, there's so many pieces to this that you can fit together, you know, that really do make a lot of sense. And there's, that's one aspect that I hadn't really brought back up. And I remember include that in the show notes, the cyber reason focus you wrote on, wrote about that now the cyber attack side of this. Now we have to remember, like you pointed out that Israel has very clear, like if this, di- if something did happen, it very it could be just as likely that Israel's the one that carried it out or the CIA using the Vault 7 stuff that was released that they know that they can frame somebody else using other tools to make it look yeah. like it's Iran or look like it's anybody else. And yet we're just getting ready to let it happen, you know. Now, it, to roll this into, unless you had any other points on that, because I really loved your train of thought right there. Like there's so much right there that just people need to understand. Yeah. But well, I'm, I'm trying to like push in like two years worth, of, more than two years really. Uh, worth of my reporting into something that's like digestible because i did three right. articles on cyber reason um and i've done a lot more on on the topics of unity 200 just in general than right. a lot on domestic terror well, um and this id 
uh, initiative with the internet. Um, but the, the, I guess the one point I'm missing when it comes to, to cyber attack stuff is the whole, um, uh, cyber polygon aspect of it. Let's keep in mind the World Economic Forum uh, has done their simulation of cyber attacks, which sort of brought the cyber pandemic idea into the public consciousness. Um, they co-hosted that with Russia. Um, uh, it was co-hosted with Russia, a, a subsidiary of Russia's Spurbank, uh, uh, which is uh, very involved in digital ID and biometric stuff in Russia. Um, and the CEO of that is very involved with the WEF. I believe he's on the board of trustees of the WEF, uh, Airman Graf. Um, and he's also very much involved with Russian leadership in the keynote um, of uh, Russian Polygon was delivered by Russian the Russian Prime Minister, um, who was uh, basically put in, in his position by Vladimir Putin. Uh, so, you know, for all the people crying, oh, Russian cyber attacks are to be upon us, bad, bad, bad. Um, why have they never complained about the WEF uh, co-hosting this big uh, multi-year now? Uh, exercise with uh, the Russian government and Russian government-linked institutions, um, which you could argue, oh, they, they're fishing for information or they're studying this and that. I mean, people like Tony Blair have participated in that. U.S. officials mm -hmm. participate in that. And a lot of banks. Uh, that's the other thing about Cyber Polygon. It's very focused on financial institutions how convenient for uh the big cyber attacks to take down critical infrastructure things like the internet for this digital id initiative but also for the central bank digital currency initiative oh no all the online banking is gone and uh, the banks have been hacked right. and uh you know it's a uh, retaliation for sanctions they might say but then oh well, your money disappeared, but well, we'll give you the money back, but the money we'll give you back won't be in U.S. dollars exactly. or in, in this other currency you had it in. It will be in digital dollars, uh, you know, something like that. That seems like a, yeah, what they do. That's well, just and, a, and it's a, perfect a conspiracy example. theory, though, Ryan. Sorry. Of course. Of course. Well, and, and it all, that all exactly <laughs> ties into the idea that they've already floated, that these things need are already problematic and need to be reimagined or destroyed and rebuilt and that's simply the idea that leads, exactly that leads into that yeah. idea well look see we're insecure because our system's not set up you know properly and did they actually do it or would they do that to manufacture the uh, you know problem reaction solution whoever knows because we'll never look back at it we're just going to jump into the great reset that's the whole that's the whole point now i want people to remember the retaliation point you just pointed out because i want if i hopefully remember to get, bring it up again at the end I, I see this very clearly kind of flowing into that direction. Like it's obvious that it's happening in regard to Russia, in regard to being in Ukraine. I mean, even Patrick Lancaster on the ground, they're, they're, it's happening. There are people on the ground, they're pushing into Ukraine, but the narrative is a little different about what's actually happening, whether they're trying to just take Ukraine or whether they're trying to remove a threat, the biolabs, the Nazis, all this stuff's floating around. And I believe that what seems to be the most logical potential point to just come right to it, and then we'll come back to the January 6th thing, is that if they're already floating the idea of chemical attacks, they're floating the idea of nuclear things. And Chernobyl just got thrown up yesterday. Maybe we can talk about that in a moment where they're going, they did something at Chernobyl and nobody knows. They've even admitted they don't have information. They're just regurgitating what Ukraine tells them. Mm -hmm. so my concern is that they'll just create something and use the, the, the beginning of this to say, I don't know, the jets in Poland or whatever point they want to say Putin just had enough, you know, and they'll claim he took action because of their setup narrative. 
you know, and so was there really retaliation or was this just a setup to make it look like there was something that happened? There's a lot of stuff that's that's moving. It's not just nuclear, right? You have the whole biolab thing coming up too. So that's like another setup for some sort of like WMD thing. And that's basically what all of this is about. And I can't remember if it was NATO or the US, but they basically said they're going to give WMD preparation assistance to Ukraine, whatever that means, that uh, stuff to help them respond to a biological nuclear chemical attack. So that basically means that there uh, will be one at some point. Uh, well, and that they're right. also giving them weapons. I mean, let's not pretend like their defensive things are ever not. But well, what I mean is the extreme emphasis on some sort of WMD related right. attack happening in Ukraine. Um, I agree. Uh, from the people that were like, they're going to invade, just wait, just wait. And then they do everything to basically like force, you know, sort of cross all the red lines. So they do invade. And then they're like, just wait, just wait, just wait. Trust us. We don't have evidence, but we will create the evidence. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Because this is what the U.S. has done. I don't know. uh, Every time. For for a very long time. I mean, I hate to be so facetious about it, but I mean, I I can't even point to a situation of war they've been in since I've been aware of the situation, since I've been paying attention, that they haven't very clearly been shown. And I'm not saying we think have been shown to be the one driving in some kind of agenda, whether lying about WMDs or lying about what happens in Bolivia to force in somebody. You know, we know that's a lie in Bolivia, but it just stays the way it is. You know, these situations have been shown to be lies. Syria, over and over and over, it's the same kind of thing. So it's just... It's amazing, but you got to believe them this time. And uh, just like Joe Rogan apparently said the other day, we'd be screwed without our career intelligence agencies. Thank goodness for the deep state, right? That, um, yeah, that's clown world. Right. People ask me all the time, when are you going on Rogan? Aren't you getting invited on on Rogan? You should have Tim Dillon connect you. Um, If he's interviewing former CIA officers and like praising what he calls his words, the deep state, uh, I, I, I don't really see myself ever being invited on that program. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it could just be that he doesn't know what he's talking about. But who, at the end of the day, it's obviously that's a big deal. I mean, you can't if you're it's if you're the biggest podcast in the country. I, I think he uh, right, sometimes gets little nudges and, and winks about, Probably. you know, <laughs> and it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but look, so there's so many different pieces. And let's let's pull these in as we go through this because i want to make sure we don't get too far away from the january let's start on let's talk about january 6th and where this led from there because i really think there's an obvious connection there and by the way i just realized i forgot to say in the beginning uh there we did end up uh postponing yet again the roundtable for Ukraine with Eva and Vanessa and and Alex, I believe. So just heads up out there, people from today, that that, that got postponed again. Uh, everything's okay. We're just going to be doing it on a later date. So no worries there. But uh, let's let's jump into this. I think since we brought this up, and I think this is an important connection, and I'm, that's why I said I'm really glad you brought this up, that this is this is a, a one of the most important pieces in my mind to show people that this is not really what it seems. Right. Whether we're talking about the Israeli government and what they actually believe and what they actually fight for, or the fact that the like exactly like you and I were talking about in your article that this is Al Qaeda in the new was it the new Syria you said or the new Al Qaeda Ukraine and Ukraine and the new Al Qaeda. Yeah. And yeah. My, my mindset was this is the new Syria. Like that's I was poking at this a while ago, you know, and we're seeing this now, and it seems interesting that like Syria. We, we've now come to realize that these people that were used on the ground, not all of them were the religious extremists fighting because they hate our freedom, if that even was ultimately real to begin with. That at the end of the day, there were people that believed in this radical ideology, but they were used from the top down 
it was more of an illusion. And the same kind of thing I think we're seeing here is that, yes, there are neo-Nazis in Ukraine. So too are there probably in the United States and anywhere else you could point to. But I believe that the top the point, the CIA building in the Azov Battalion, or in this case, Israel arming those same people, the Azov Battalion, it doesn't make sense to argue they're neo-Nazis or white supremacists if they're working with Israel or working alongside people brought in from Syria, which both are happening right now. So to me, it paints more of a construct that they're using those people, probably keeping them separated from the groups like this, but that it's not really about that. It's about blaming it on the people that were like people in the United no, States. No, but I think I think you can still call them uh, neo-Nazis or Nazi groups if you want. Uh, no, I no, mean, I, like, to uh, be clear. To be clear, I'm saying that that's there's definitely the Azov Battalion and these groups, the right sector, Georgia Legion. I mean, I've gone over all this. They're very clearly extremist mentality people. My point is that if there are Jewish parts of this or let's say Muslim parts or, you know, what because that's what's happening. These people are coming from Syria, different places that complete that's the vanilla ISIS ridiculous concept. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right? OK, so so Israel for a really long time. Uh, their uh, national security power structure, their leadership structure, the power structure, I guess, mm -hmm. um, of that country um, has had no problems backing groups that right. uh, are openly anti-Semitic or that uh, openly hate Israel or that Israel openly hates. Um, Iran-Contra is a good example. Uh, they gave right. a bunch of weapons to uh, the post-revolution government of Iran uh, that was supposedly cited by them as being an existential threat. They gave them a bunch of weapons. Um, you know, there's, there's good examples in this article, even. I mean, they, they make the well, it, it goes back a really long time. So, if you look at the paramilitary groups that created Israel or helped create Israel, like Ergun or the Stern Gang, the Stern Gang uh tried to ally with Hitler uh, on two occasions after 1941 when the concentration camp thing uh was ongoing at that point. Um, mm -hmm. Because it was, it, it could, they thought an alliance could fulfill certain policy objectives. And what they exactly. wanted was them to send um, uh, a large amount of uh, the Jews then in, you know, concentration camps to Palestine um, instead and basically have them exported abroad. Um, and they were willing to ally with the original Nazis to do that. Right. And then right. the leader of the Stern gang, Itzhak Shamir, became prime minister of Israel um in the 80s so like those types of like extremist ideologies are there in Ergun, which the stern gang came out of and is another uh terrorist group uh from you know that uh pre-israel as a state uh period of of time he also became a prime minister and created the what is now the likud party which is like the dominant political party in israel right. um i mean you know the ends justify the means for, for those people. And it's really yeah. important not to conflate the Israeli people right. with that government, because I really doubt that the Israeli people as a whole would agree with those decisions. But uh, Israel has been in a state of emergency since it was founded in 1948. They have a military censor of their press. Uh, as a result of that state of emergency, this has been ongoing for a long time so they don't exactly have the same sort of press freedom a lot of people think they have and if it is deemed to be in a, a, a report that could threaten uh, israel in a time of war which is every day since israel's existed um you know they don't publish it and and now look at look at the overlap i mean let's not pretend that the u.s government is not absolutely taking a page from that i mean they're building the same situation we're now in a constant state we i mean we've been in a constant state of emergency since 9 11 or the opioid crisis or now COVID. it's just ongoing emergencies that allow them to pretend it's the same situation right and this uh, what you painted there makes it clear and so do these examples in this article itself that it's politics 
right? So the actual the actual narrative is not really the important part. It's the it's the end goal, and I don't think it's necessary that necessarily that it's the end justifies the means. I think it's that they don't actually believe in the what's the right part of it. They don't believe in what they actually say they're fighting for. Like it's Zionism using Judaism in this case to manip to and you know as and pretending to care about the things they do, but actually just driving in the agenda. That'd be my opinion, and plenty of Orthodox Jews would say that on the ground. But it's the same anywhere else we're looking at. You know, that they pretend they're fighting for freedom over here, but really they're fighting for their agenda. And so this in the, the important part here is to show the tie back to what you said, which is interesting, is that they've already laid the groundwork for having essentially control or uh, the ability to conduct things or cyber attacks and make it look like somebody else or blame it on somebody else. And they're in that they have that ability. And here the one here they are directly arming the very Azov battalion, which we're about to show you, if you haven't seen yet, was also being funded by the CIA since 2015, also by U.S. Congress since 2016. And and you can see the connection to the people in the United States. So when you see the Israeli government arming them all the way back then, we need to start recognizing that if they're the ones they're claiming that they're that are the ones being used to build this threat that they're then pointing at to be the attackers. It just I mean, I don't understand why people can't see that connection right now. Like if the CIA has been involved, if they're on the ground arming and funding these people and they're then pointing at them as the potential threat building this white supremacy issue. I mean, this isn't some tr- this isn't foggy. This is right in front of us, right? I mean, what what are people missing? Why aren't they recognizing this? They just don't know what's there, Whitney? Um, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways, I guess, you could answer that question. I don't think there's actually really any one answer to that question. Why people mm-hmm. don't know something, there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, uh, especially these days, it's either uh, they haven't heard it, they don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, I mean, it really just sort of depends on on what you're talking about in in the situation. But what they've used a lot to deflect on is uh, with Ukraine recently is you know, oh, Zelensky's Jewish, therefore Azov Battalion. There's no way they're Nazis because you know, and that is uh, you know, that's not a real argument when you know uh, the history exactly. of um you know, either Zionist paramilitary groups or uh, things in which Israeli intelligence or their national security apparatus has engaged since then. Um, and um, how basically some uh, Zionist extremists, which include mainstream Israeli politicians, have been pretty open about the fact that um, anything perceived as an increase in anti-Semitism helps them advance uh, domestic and foreign policy goals. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, really quick though, I'm going to turn off my camera because I have to uh, uh, set up to feed uh, my my little guy. Uh, so, uh, go on, uh, yep. and I'll still be here, just uh, you know, not uh, visible for a short time. <laughs> no worries. Uh, okay. well, so I, I'm good. Yeah, perfect. That that was. I don't have to do it on this end. So, really, the the way I want to start, you know, getting into this part of it is, I, I really want your thoughts on on what I feel like is be kind of materializing in front of us right now with this January 6th connection. And so th- this is the part I was talking about with you on, on uh, text the other day. So let, let's, let me just pull this up real quickly and I'll show you this article that was being discussed around the apparently Ukrainians on the ground during January 6th, which I find very, very interesting. Um, yeah, so, that's wild. Yeah. And so, well, first of all, here is this, this person, this is the interesting part for me on, on where this kind of starts because there was an effort to lay this groundwork a while ago, right? So this is January 10th, days after, right? So January 10th, 2021, this person comes out with this article saying, was there a Ukrainian, cons- why was there a Ukrainian conspiracy theorist? And what's interesting is even though they're calling it a Ukrainian conspiracy theorist, they still immediately go, all roads lead to Putin. 
And and if you when you read this, it's really <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's interesting because when you read it, it actually the argument they make to tie it back to Putin is simply that there he this person is tied to an oligarch, which is in the orbit of Putin. Therefore, he's a Putin shill. And it's like for crying out loud, like of course that yeah. could be, but that's you could like I, my point I made is that's the kind of thing that people tend to do with people like Hillary Clinton. Some but, some of these are great. I have a uh, uh, an article that I cited in the piece for T Lab, but I pulled it up to talk about a little bit today. Um, from Robert Reich, who's the, who is secretary of labor under Clinton, but is one of those like super like triggered, uh, anti-Trump commentators. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Have a, no, no worries. No worries. Uh, well, just baby. What, 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 I, what I'm ta- what I'm going at though, is that so that there's, it's a flimsy connection at best, which certainly could be. And then, but also just, you know, pointing out things that people said in the chat, like, on Wednesday's armed insurrection, it's like, well, come on, like right out of the gate, nobody was armed. And the insurrection comment is ridiculous anyway, but that's where they go with this. But here's the person's name, and this is who we're talking about, Debinin, I guess. And so the point is that this is the, the argument they try to make all the way back then. But then it goes, we go forward from there, and we begin to see there's more comments around this and more and more proof, or this is, this is obviously a Russian state affiliated media individual. So he's probably lying, right? That's how people frame this today. But the point is you can clearly see this person and there's more to this. I'm just going to go into the easy pictures we can show. If you're interested to see more in depth, please watch my entire show on this from January, the January 6th episode. But this is the individual and he's part of the Ukrainian military. He's got Ukraine. He's, you know, Ukrainian, He's documented in multiple ways wearing Ukrainian stuff, wearing Ukrainian pins, right? And the idea is it's very clear this person is a Ukrainian. So jump yeah. in if you want to have any comments. I'm just going to keep going through this for people to see. Well, starting with uh, that odd tie over in January 6th, there's this weird um, narrative that's been gaining a lot of steam lately if you've been looking for it. I don't think your audience really reads these mainstream media outlets that are saying this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's around. So it's like New York Times, The Intercept. Salon and the Guardian, some other ones. Um, but this Robert Reich piece, because he's writing for the Gu- <laughs> little dude. <laughs> oh. Anyway, he's writing. He wrote this piece in the beginning of March that I cited in the article for T Lab that says, "Uh, it's called Putinism is breeding in the heart of the Republican Party." Oh, ow! Uh, sorry, That's okay. uh, the multitasking has become complicated. All right. So I can read from that if you want to hear some of these quotes. It says... uh, I can bring it up if you'd like me to, if you just want to read it. Yeah, sure. So I I just gave you the title. It's Robert Rake, The Guardian, March 1st um, of of this year. Uh, Putinism is breeding in the heart of the Republican Party. Uh, The subtitle is, Make No Mistake, Putin's authoritarian neo-fascism has rooted itself in America. The Cold War has already come home. And then it's a picture of Trump. Um, I got it. Anyway. Right, go ahead and read so, it. Like, pull it up. <clears throat> I'm just reading some quotes from it. So in the third paragraph from the beginning, it starts, uh, the biggest difference between the old Cold War and the new one is that authoritarian neo-fascism is no longer just an external threat to America and Europe. Oh, that's weird. I thought the old Cold War was about bad communism in russia not neo-fascism but whatever um anyway he goes on to say a version of it meaning this authoritarian neo-fascism is also growing inside western europe in the u.s um it has even taken over one of america's major political parties and he continues the trump-led republican party does not openly support putin i.e they have no evidence of the Republicans openly right. supporting Putin. Um, anyway, he says, but the Republican party's animus towards democracy 
as expressed in ways familiar to Putin and other wow. autocrats. That's some great but journalism. That, right that's there. a wild sentence, isn't it? Wow. Um, anyway, we know nothing at all, but we'd like to think because of the way they act, which is sort of connected to what they might do totally there. Right. It's just, that's the kind of journalism we see today. It's pathetic. Yeah. So anyway, there's a couple paragraphs down from there. He goes on and says Putin's attack on Ukraine starting the 24th of February and the attack by followers of Donald Trump on the U S Capitol on January 6, 2021 are different of course, but they resemble one another in their contempt for a, for democratic institutions and their attempts to justify violence by asserting a threat to a dominant racial or ethnic group. See, you know, let me comment on this really quickly. What's really frustrating about, and this is the level of so-called, you know, corporate journalism in the corporate world. All of this is based on their perceptions of what they say they think and do. None of them are saying that, right? They're not saying we hate this entire system. They're saying you guys are criminals and the system was broken, bastardized because Trump won. Like that's their argument. So if they're trying to say Trump won and that he should be in power, that's not saying we don't like the democratic system. That's saying we believe in it and you broke it, right? So what the frustrating part of this is they just go, no, they wink, wink. Here's what they really mean with nothing to back it up. And they write entire articles about this, right? That they did. Go ahead. Right. Well, th- this, this paragraph I just read is trying to compare what's going on in Ukraine right now to January 6th. Okay. Right. Um, that's insane. I just want everyone to take a moment to appreciate how insane that is. Um, and it's the reason he claims that. Well, first of all, he's claiming that uh, January 6th was violence uh, by asserting a threat to a dominant racial or ethnic group. He's saying that January 6th was a white supremacist event. Exactly. When it was uh, very clearly people who uh, were disgruntled about the 2020 election. Um Anyway, uh, and uh, the the whole uh, situation in Ukraine uh, did not have uh, Ukrainian police officers waving the Russian soldiers in. You know, I mean, that's what happened on January 6th, right? You have Capitol Police officers waving people in uh, and saying, this is your house and crap like that. Yeah, you can't really equate these at all. Um, But it's this part of this broader effort that's in this article and, and some of the other outlets I just mentioned, where they're trying to totally link not just Donald Trump to Putin because they've spent, I don't know, many years doing that since the before the 2016 election really got off even. Mm-hmm. Um, but com- combining that Putin, alleged Putin-Trump nexus to white supremacism right. and painting Putin as basically the godfather of global white supremacism. Which your article uh, pretty much destroyed, by the way. I mean, it's undeniable. Well, yeah, because it's, it's very, clownish. It is. The I argument. Mean, that connection that you point out about just four to five. Like, I, I made the clear that, that they could be arguing they sent in groups of four to five, but that still doesn't seem like a lot. And, but it's way back in 2014, and there's no evidence after that. And they just pin it together. You know, as your point, there was the one attack, but the person that conducted it wasn't even technically part of their group. I mean, it's just, it's a stretch at the it's, best. It's a real stretch and they've never killed anyone even by their own metrics. Um, right. They don't even know how many people they have and there's no proof oh. of it really being a, a, any bigger than it was when they said it was like microscopic, basically. And we're talking um, about the Russian imperial movement for yeah, those yeah, who yeah. are talking amongst our, mm-hmm. not, I should have said the name. It's like you and I know, but they don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> well, and then Rim and I, I can't get past these weird connections like that. Where so, and we might as well jump into this right now since this is where it seems to be connected to. I want to show uh, the I, the connection right there. That so Ram or the Rise Above Movement is the group that was in Ram show. and Rim, Rim oh. and Ram, right? I mean, it's like it's just strange. Rim, and, Ram, yeah, it just rolls off the tongue. 
Russian imperial movement is what they're trying to frame essentially as the, as the group that was building this problem. And that's why I think they began to paint the Aza battalion as a problem right at, right after, yeah. Jan, right after the whole situation, which uh, b- before we move here. on, I, sure. I want to read one more part from this Robert. Oh, go ahead. I'll go back to uh, Reich article. Um, at the very end, he says, uh, make no mistake, Putin's authoritarian neo-fascism has rooted itself in America. This is the craziest part of the argue, uh, article, arguably. It may be possible to prevent Putin's aggression from spreading to the rest of Europe, but it is not possible to win a cold civil war inside America without destroying the United States. A cold civil war. That's interesting. So he's saying there needs to be a hot civil war. Right. He's but it- saying there needs to be a, a war on domestic terror that's like a hot civil Like, I mean, I don't even think I really need to spell it out for people. He, well, This guy wants a legit like repeat of the civil war from before in the U.S. Right. And that's right. So the U.S. has to be... Um, <clears throat> If we don't do that, the U.S. will be destroyed, is what he's saying. Right. Well, and what's in, and that's that's huge in and of itself. But what I found interesting is, is the jump from where he's talking about Putin and what's happening with Putin and Russia, and jumping the, and that just translates to civil war. Like, don't miss the jump that they're making there, and that's because that the, their whole framing is that Putin is building this problem inside the United States. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this isn't incompetence or people who who just want to look at this and be like, "Wow, he's an idiot." Yes. But this narrative is being seeded in the people that still believe this crap for a reason, you Mm -hmm. know? So I don't really even think this guy believes what he's saying. He's he's trying to link up all of these things with his, like, you know, goobly guck reasoning, (laughs) if you even want to call it that. Right. Um, So people absorb these ideas like a sponge basically because his audience he's not trying to reach critical thinkers with this you know what i mean right exactly (laughs) i agree and and so here's the timeline so after january 6th we saw a lot of this come out here's time magazine and it was like and what's interesting is you won't find any reference to it they don't don't even point to january so it's january 7th that 24 hours later they jump out with this article going look at how azov battalion that's what they're pointing at right here Azov movement are building the threat that we're, you know, otherwise pointing at January 6th. So the let's point was, arm them. <laughs> right. Well, but, now, but that's now yeah. though, right back then I, the difference here was that they were, I think the whole point was to build this whole narrative without people pointing to the CIA armed them and make the point to where then, well, yes, there was a connection there, but then when once Putin pushed into Ukraine, the things that happened were that it was the problem that they created or that their connection to it, not necessarily that it was the U.S. side of it. And then the false flag and so on. Like, as long as you don't well, see the well, CIA part of it. Well, for now, that's what it is. Sure. Because they're saying in Congress, like, oh, the rise in prices is Putin's fault and it's Putin's right. gas hike and all this stuff. It's ridiculous. Uh, but I don't think that's necessarily going to be the narrative forever. Because, no, no. Yeah. Um, as, as I know you've talked about, um, people like Hillary Clinton uh she's not the only one coming out and saying like we need to remake afghanistan in the 80s and ukraine now um and all of this stuff and then when she mentions oh well there were some unintended consequences for that ha 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 she literally laughs um when talking about the whole blowback thesis um of oh well we funded the mujahideen and then it became al-qaeda and al-qaeda did 9-11 okay so your audience most of your audience at least i would imagine would know 
that the blowback model is BS. It's for people that don't want to uh, investigate 9-11 objectively. Um, So blowback, if you want to call it that, is always intentional. Right. Yeah. So what they're saying is, yeah. So what they're saying is we're going to create an insurgency and there's going to be blowback. Uh Oh, ha ha. Because it always happens. It happened in Iraq and Syria and Afghanistan when we did this, but we're going to do it again. And there's going to be blowback from these Nazis. Oh, wait, there's going to be a domestic terror Nazi threat when, uh, you know, these uh, white supremacists that we've been training or the Russian imperial variety or whatever uh, decide to establish ties in the U.S. that we've already set the narrative for, um, you know, I mean, it should yeah. be pretty clear uh, where this is going. So a lot of people, you know, are focusing on the day-to-day stuff with the conflict in Ukraine. Right. Um, but I, I'm trying to highlight um, the what's supposed to come after, which is this blowback crap. Right. But they've made it really clear that, I mean, it's going to be an insurgency free-for-all, that there's a, already documented they're sending uh, Syrian uh rebels uh over there they're sending them from pretty much everywhere they can find them mercenaries from all over the planet are pretty much congregating uh in ukraine right now (laughs) Uh, that can't end well uh obviously and so anyone you know the cia has been training that insurgency since 2015 with all the intentions to use it at some point um i reported for mint press news like ages ago that once they started to wind down their financing of the quote unquote Syrian rebels, um, the U S I mean, uh, they started ramping it up, uh, w- the groups they were funding in, uh, Ukraine, uh, mm-hmm. which includes Azov battalion. And I what I said it. there is that they moved. So that was 2017 that they were moving to arm, you know, Syria 2.0 in Ukraine. Right. Uh, they've been making moves for a long time. Some people have argued it was sort of interrupted to an extent by Trump who represents a separate set of, um, policy agendas in a different uh faction uh of the global elite that obviously is uh uh has has had some major losses recently uh i would argue that jeffrey epstein is in that nexus as well and that's why he was uh offed you can read more about that in my book it has a lot my theory anyway on why he was taken out has a lot to do with his um activities uh alongside mohammed bin salman Right. Who, if you remember correctly, was very cozy with the Trump administration and Jared Kushner and Adam Newman and all of these guys. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> so I, I'm, I'm becoming more. I mean, I've always I'm always open to whatever the, where the evidence leaves leads, but I've been really resistant to seeing. I mean, Trump seen, can to me really does seem to be part of a lot of this stuff. But this is the first part that I'm really starting to go. Okay. I'm seeing more to this that it suggests that he may have actually been in some ways pushing back against something, or more so was a useful. Or like somebody they used. And I th- my mindset here, as the, come from the high elevation view, is that they put him in, they allowed him to be in that position, like WikiLeaks showed us, that they made sure he was on that final stage so he could be the scapegoat. Right. They want that's why they were trying to connect Putin to Trump. They were trying to lay this groundwork. They were going to make it Putin influencing his white supremacist idea. And they trained the other battalion. Like it's very clear. Right. And so it seems to be that that, that would lend credence to the idea that Trump was not involved in everything which is a you know i'm sure the republicans out there are cheering you know hey ryan sees what i've been saying you know it's like this well yeah it it is convenient to have him as a scapegoat and but really the the enemy they're going after isn't trump when they go after trump it's trump's base exactly Um, the people they want to represent and, and, and the ideas that his base believe 
he represents. Right. The whole right. America first idea and nationalism. There's an effort to criminalize the idea of nationalism, really, uh, because, you know, a lot of people uh, in the power elite are very into global governance. Um, that, that's actually important because the idea of nationalism does not is not inherent. It doesn't even generally mean racism or white supremacy. You know, the idea that they well, no, not at that, all. It means that you like that there's different nation states, like there have been yeah. for pretty much our entire existences of everyone who's alive. Right, and you uh, believe in yours, right? And you believe yeah, in the idea that, we're and that you don't believe that the global governance system, as proposed by institutions like the WEF, um, are a good idea. Um, people that oppose that are going to be filed under this extremist nationalist I- I- idea. But basically, in these people's books, um, you're an ex- a nationalist extremist if you just uh, support nationalism of any variety. It's a very interesting thing to put together right there that they obviously this obviously lines up with everything else we're saying that they essentially just made the term nationalism become racist and it's not the truth. And so that's 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 really silly. Our our like patriotic Africans like racist. (laughs) Right, right. Like, well, according I don't to know. mentality, that's not possible because they can't be apparently if they're not a certain color. Okay. Can I read, can I, can I read a, um, so Robert Reich wrote that article I was reading from, but James Risen at The Intercept also wrote an article that's really silly. What's the title? Um, Go ahead and I'll grab it while you're reading it. Well, I don't have, I, I, it's cited within the salon piece. You sent um, me the link to that in Signal, didn't but you? But I'll, uh, let me, I can pull up the Ryzen piece. Sorry, I have to use my left hand on a right-handed mouse because my nice. baby's on top of my right hand. <laughs> so, sorry. Well, we, it's no a little worries. awkward Read the here. title for me when okay. you have a second. I'll grab it. So, James Ryzen's piece in The Intercept is, Will the GOP's Trumpist wing persist in its embrace of Putin? Um, okay. So, anyway, he, in that article, he says... Um, Today, much of the American right is enthralled to Putin, which is a very interesting word choice. It means they're like his uh, servant. Right. Like, I know of the word thrall from, like, the Elder Scrolls games that right, I right. used to be obsessed <laughs> with for a long time, uh-huh. where vampires have thralls, which are, like, basically their mind-controlled slaves. Anyway, um, so that's an interesting word choice. Anyway, today, much of the American right is enthralled to Putin and other autocrats, and a segment of the extreme right now harbors a hatred for Western democracy. Again, that's uh, just simply not true. Western it's- democracy meaning, you know, um, people uh, of the Democratic Party that are, like, controlled by big tech and the Council on Foreign Relations. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's silly. That's the only democracy yeah. that can exist. Anyway, the, well, the, the I, new American right. Oh, go on. No, no, sorry. I was, I was just going to add to it. Go ahead. It's not important. <laughs> well, what he says after that is the new American right somehow sees Putin as a guardian of white nationalism who will stand up to the quote unquote woke left in the West. Okay. What, what because, exactly? and, well, it, it, so what they're capitalizing on there is the fact that um, uh, Russia does, uh, has criticized some of these woke uh, things in the U S that, you know, I don't consider myself, uh, far right, but you know, I'm not really into some of this, uh, stuff that I argue is sort of like sexualizing children. Yeah. Um, 
and and some of these like other uh you know uh initiatives trying to talk to kids that are like seven years old about you know uh things that they seven-year-olds have never really had to think about yeah. uh before and probably. you know some of this stuff like where uh the military now has to do some of these like um uh like uh, non-biased trainings and learn to uh you know um uh, what do they even call it? I can't remember. It's yeah. when they basically do uh, trainings about like how to love everyone, whatever. Militaries generally don't do that crap because their job is to kill people. Yeah. Um, so sense. anyway, there, there's there been like, you know, uh, comments made by like the Russian, also the Chinese government sort of like lampooning that anyway. So Russia, uh, many Russians are white people. They also have a lot of people in Siberia that are not white right they're like asian right. uh so it's really annoying to sort of have this monolith of what a russian is being like oh they're white but anyway so um even, but it's true that there are some conservative commentators that sort of see them as a bastion of conservative values but i haven't heard any of those commentators say oh it's because they're white values uh, i think they're just sort of extrapolating the fact that like a lot of russians are white people because they're Russian. <laughs> right. um, so I think there's an effort to sort of like mix all that stuff together. Yeah, it's, it's clumsy as always, right? I mean, and you could also add the point, is there, is there probably some of them that may have that ideology? Sure. But it, to, to represent this as, sure, it's possible, I should say. I don't know off the top of my head. But the point is simply that it's obvious that this is a subjective narrative that's just like, again, like everything else we just painted on that article. There's no evidence that that's the case. They just want to make that the case. And so they argue that... Uh, with nothing, just cutting out a whole cloth. Republicans believe in this, even though they haven't yeah. said that because we want that to be the case. It's well, they're they're really reaching with some of these things. So, like this uh, salon piece where I first saw that Risen article or Intercept article by James Risen mm-hmm. is titled "How White Supremacy Fuels the Republican Love Affair with Vladimir Putin." Um, and he just says a bunch of uh, extreme shit in here that and, I, I think most people will agree is extreme. And, and this so is he says I all think, Republicans well, are we'll fascist. Good. Good. Um, good. Well, he says all Republicans are fascist, and that Putin's politics align uh, with today's Republican Party. Um, and together, the Republican Party and Putin are a global front aimed at undermining or destroying multiracial democracy. That's. It's just such a. It just doesn't make any sense because it's it's not based in evidence. Right. But anyway, gigantic thing to say with nothing to back it up. Right. Like there's nothing around that makes that clear. This is some set agenda. It's just what they want you to believe that they think. And it's this is everything's based on the entire thing. So so this guy goes on to say uh, at the end of the article, he highlights what he calls three foundational realities about American politics. The first one is. Uh, today's Republican Party is America's and the world's largest white supremacist and white identity organization. Sure, half the country. So yeah. you're basically saying half of the country are the KKK. <laughs> um, that's insane. Um, anyway, um, anyway, according to him, the second foundational reality is that conservatism and racism are fully one and the same in America. Wow. Another doozy. This is published in Salon. This is pretty wild um, that it would be published. Anyway, he says the third one is uh, on a fundamental level, Trumpism and American neo-fascism are nothing new. um, And they have long existed 
Um, and uh, are we need to eliminate the concept of race, basically, and that they're the leading, uh, the Republican Party and conservatism are the leading proponents of anti-human ideas and values, which is pretty silly because transhumanism is the anti-human uh, yeah, ideal and value. <laughs> That's um, funny. Because it's literally about eliminating humanity. <laughs> literally. <laughs> so. like th- th- This is the kind of clownish thing we see, or maybe the epitome of accuse them of that which you are guilty, right? Like, no, 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 they're going to do chemical attacks no they're destroying humanity man it's just it's overwhelming to see how they're getting away with and he, the point really we should see is it's really always been like this it's just becoming really obvious today for some reason that they don't need facts to back up their subjective political partisan discussion points mm-hmm. it's it's infuriating but this is why i want us to make sure we don't we understand how this is something that has been built and uh let's let's go back to this in regard to the continuity of all this, right? So we talked about January 6th. We talked about all this stuff about how, well, actually, we, I mean, I, we could go in deep on this for a while. Actually, before, let me, let me just go back to this really quickly. And we'll finish up the part about this. And the idea being that this guy is verifiably with his Ukrainian medal, somebody who is, and it's not just these images, please do watch my show and go through this entirely. But we also then see that there was the, a large amount of Ukrainians that were settled in the United States by Obama and then threw into Trump's administration, by the way. And settling them inside the United States. And so, and, and then we can find that tying back to January 6th and the people that were on the ground, that guy in, genu- in general screaming things in Russian, even though he's verifiably Ukrainian. And on, on top of that, somebody has, a, he's, he's actually uh, placed at the Donbass region in the 2014 15 timeframe in, in, in regard to other people that are against this agenda. It's very strange. But the point being, coming back to this, that we can see a very clear, undeniable trail. From U.S. Congress making sure the Azad Battalion, who is very clearly tied to the CIA, being funded. And this is the point that I keep seeing that people, even the Western press, are, are still arguing the opposite. That no, Congress made sure that they were stopping them from getting weapons, except for the fact that both the Jerusalem Post and uh, this was, t- um, was the other, uh, which outlet was it? Nation, the Nation posted this article on January 16th. No, they removed the ban. Making sure, and why? Because Pentagon intelligence arm reaches out and says, "No, no, no. We have to make sure we keep arm, arming them." It's it, that. That's pretty interesting. If you want to comment? Go ahead. The other thing about where people are like, "There's no way we're arming neo Nazis in Ukraine beyond beyond the Zelensky is Jewish argument." I mean, just just remember history, yeah, about how many extreme uh, far right groups the U.S. has armed over right. the past several decades. Um, that's what you they know. do. The Nicaraguan Contras, um, the paramilitary groups in Colombia at war with FARC. uh, There, there's just tons of these over uh, various continents. mm, uh, This has been going on for a long time, Uh, and also like Operation Gladio and all of that stuff too, like throughout Europe. I mean, there's just like a litany of these. So for it to be like, oh well, they they just want to do it in Ukraine is like just a no, no, no. Go, go back and, and, and learn the history, people. Right, right up to Syria as well. I mean, I've already documented that there's been 450 literal members of Hyatt Tyrrell Sham that have now brought over to Ukraine. And that's exactly oh, what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. no big deal. They're, right. they're, they're not the ISIS. We changed their name, so they're not the same thing anymore, right? But <laughs> oh, my God. Here, here is the example yeah. we showed you a moment ago. And this is there's been two articles now by Yahoo News pointing out not only has the CIA been there since 2015 training, but they're also conducting special military and intelligence operations 
That's a fact. Now, we also have the example from, and this guy is now speaking on the record with the uh, Atlantic Council, sort of changing this a little bit. And the point is, this was the narrative they wanted you to think before we exposed the CIA was funding all of this. But the Azov's a bad thing. It's dangerous. And it's part of the National Guard. But really, that they went international. That their international arm in Germany was the third path. And in America was called the Rise Above Movement. Oh. So if you, did, if you didn't have the connection of who the CIA funding them, well, so you would be like, oh, no, this bad group is building this in the United States, and we're going to subtly suggest that Putin is behind it all, right? It's really interesting. Go ahead. Do you have a comment? I'm gonna, I'm yeah, one second. Thing. Yeah, now I have little man wiggling good, around. Good. I'll, I'll uh, this is a good here. time to bring up that other group I was telling you about because right. you're going to find them very interesting. Uh, do you want me to screen share or do you want to bring it up? Because uh, I didn't uh, send you the links before. Yeah, I'll grab it. Let me, this last one is the most important, sure. and then we'll look at that next. Which is okay. Whitney gave a pretty interesting bombshell before we went live, which you guys are going to love. But here is, and by the way, all of this, all the links to each one of these are right down here, every one of them, so you guys can confirm for yourself, as always. This is an FBI document that I argue was put out because they were trying to lay this groundwork, but it says very clearly, 2018, that the Rise Above Movement members traveled to where? Well, all the locations of the international arm of the Azov Battalion, Germany, Ukraine, Italy, the United States, with Alina Semenkia, who was the leader of the, uh, the Azov Battalion's political party called the National Corps. And that's very clear on the record, Azov Battalion. But then he goes on to say that, yes, we know that they're immersed with the government. Yes, we know that they're neo-Nazi. This is 2018 and that they've trained and radicalized these groups. So again, they're showing you that the rise above movement, which is what they, which is what the Charlottesville Unite the Right discussion was all about, and they framed that as Trump and the and the Republican Party was literally funded by the CIA, which is the which is what we're talking about, as well as Congress. So it's impossible to miss that that continuity there, right? And this is where you begin to see this materializing, where they were building something that they were going to use and blame on whoever they want to call the white supremacist domestic terror threat in the United States. And, and then we recognize, I think that your work, Whitney, and this discussion and anybody else on this has pretty much destroyed the idea of what they were going to say was the coming insurgency, which I think is ridiculous. Sort of how they were talking about training the people in Ukraine for their revolution before Putin invaded. How in the, how in, how in the world is it a revolution when you're trying to force the Donbass region into your country? You see what I mean? Or how was it insurgency before that started? Like they were building this narrative. I think that's very clear. If you have any comments, I'll grab that link for you. Go ahead and share them. Yeah, no, well, well, let's move on to this group because you brought up the Rise Above movement and, and the weird thing between RIM and RAM and how you basically have a, a narrative set up, not just for Azov Battalion blowback, uh, but also for uh, RIM, right, uh, which is the Russian Imperial movement and furthers this whole other narrative that uh, Putin himself is the source of all uh, white supremacy. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Wh which one was it? I've got it's, the, uh, the base. Yeah. Okay. So, um, right. oh, it, that's it. the one. Yeah. This so that's really their, their, their symbol at the top. They're called the base. Okay. Um, the, the base is another one of these groups that got into the news a lot right after January. Uh, when, when a lot of this stuff we were, uh, we started talking about domestic terror, how it started to build up in like February, January, 2020, mm -hmm. um, when most people were distracted by COVID stuff. Uh, there was the, these guys were in the news a lot and they were in the news a lot last year in terms of justifying the alleged persistence of the white supremacist threat domestically in the United States. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you can read through here. This is the counter extremism project. 
Um, they allegedly call for, um, uh, they, they describe themselves as an international survivalist and self-defense network that seeks to train their members for fighting a race war, um, among other things. Uh, they, they, their, uh, the identities of their leadership and several high profile arrests took place in January, 2020. Um, and then October, 2020, and they've also, um, been in the news uh, most of last year and uh, more recently this year. You, um, you notice but, anything missing right there? You notice anything missing from where their their active network is? <laughs> it's apparently not Russia. That's interesting. Yeah. So um, there's a lot of really weird stuff here, um, though, because you said, oh, not Russia, right? Well, the guy that founded this, he went by the alias Roman Wolf and Norman Spear, uh, but his real name, if you uh, pull up his profile, is Ronaldo Nazaro, uh, the name that everyone expects the top U.S. white supremacist to have. Um, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Like, it's, I shouldn't laugh because this is a serious topic, but it's like just the vanilla ISIS, these things, they float. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, laugh. when they came out and said that, like, this guy is the big neo-Nazi, he, that, what, his real name wasn't known. He was Roman Wolf or Norman Spear. Right, but it turns out his real name is Ronaldo Nazaro. Um, Wolf's anyway. ankle is the symbol that the Ukrainian military uses a lot, so it's just interesting, kind of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but go to this guy's profile on the same website. Yeah, Ronaldo Nazaro is the founder of the white supremacist group, the Base. Where's the link for his? Is uh, uh, it, you have you have oh, you showed it, it earlier? Right yeah. yeah. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> it talks about uh, after ho- the profile high profile arrest of Base members, uh, Nazaro began building a new organization, and but then he disbanded. Uh, the new group uh, in March of last year. And then in February, he took a more active role in promoting the base. Since then he's back to promoting the base full time as of the same month when this Ukraine conflict goes on. Anyway, um, originally from New Jersey, Nazaro ran a security company in the U S that claimed expertise in intelligence, counterterrorism, counterinsurgency, and psychological operations. The U S department of Homeland security, DHS confirmed that Nazaro worked for DHS between 2004 and 2006. No, I'm not even finished. (laughs) I have so much more to tell you. Um, in 2014, Nazaro reportedly worked with U.S. forces in the Middle East on counterterrorism measures. According to media reports, Nazaro had top secret clearance and was among a, among a group that briefed special forces officers in the Middle East on military targeting and counterterrorism efforts. Nazaro reportedly claimed to have completed multiple tours of duty in Afghanistan in Iraq, but has since denied ever putting on a uniform. That's weird. In 2012, Nazaro married a Russian woman and now lives in Russia. Ah, here we go. That mm-hmm. was interesting. <laughs> yep. So what's even weirder, right, is that this guy had all these top security clearances in the Middle East, um, blah, 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 and then leaves, right, and then becomes a <clears throat> white supremacist, and he calls his group the base. And the base, in Arabic, is Al-Qaeda. <laughs> that's incredible so he literally named his group al-qaeda uh for the new war on domestic terror whereas the old war on domestic terror was against al-qaeda in arabic now it's against al-qaeda in english 
exactly exactly your point isn't isn't this uh weird it to me it seems like they're not trying anymore they're just like "Uh uh-huh we'll just call you a conspiracy theorist for noting how weird this is or to your point that you said before is that it's you know it's there there's always a level of some sort of a a, a need to show what they're doing you know that we need to respond to but to your point exactly i think that's a big part of it where they want people like us to be like oh i see it and then make the argument that they can go that's so stupid like what a dumb conspiracy theorist like yes it means that but it's, here's why it makes sense well you know? here's one point <laughs> on conspiracy theory that i think a lot of people need to keep in mind mm-hmm. The weaponization of the term conspiracy theory goes back to the John F. Kennedy assassination. And basically the idea behind it was to use, uh, have people train people so that when they hear it, they just laugh and dismiss what they're hearing. So it's a tactic used to, for, uh, to, to have people through a trained conditioned response, not engage with the material at all. Um, As opposed to looking at it and being like, ha ha, that's silly. It's a way to deflect interaction with the information period. So I think things that they um, are, are most worried about people interacting with tend to uh, gain that, that particular label. Yeah. Um, There's also documentation of that discussion talking about, you know, responses. I mean, there, there's plenty of, re, of, of good independent media work on this topic about listing, you know, like, what would you say if people ask, like, how is it possible this could not be such a grand conspiracy? And, you know, like there's, they, they have responses, like, here's what you would say in this, in this situation. And the idea is it's just a way to close off your mind to new information, which we saw in COVID, we're seeing in Ukraine. I mean, it's just, you know, I stand with Ukraine. Yeah, and to not engage with the information, to right. not even like look at it, to exactly. just dismiss it by being like, ha ha. You know, and uh, by closing people off to that, you know, they don't look into the issue at all. And here it's really obvious that their story is is built on a house of cards. So they really can't have people look at it. Well, it's interesting uh, too much. Would, that this guy would it, it would dismiss, would say, well, no, I've never put on a uniform. Like it's like they're, try, it's like they're trying to pretend that he never had military background, which would make sense if you don't want people. But to then they admitted he did and blah, 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 you right. know. But the thing is, the guy uh, basically was intimately involved at a top security clearance level in the war just uh, against al-Qaeda supposedly in the Middle East and then he comes back and and then gives his uh, now conveniently the new boogeyman for the war on domestic terror the literal same name Uh, and it would be one thing if he was like I was uh, you know al-Qaeda blah 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 and I did it on purpose no there's none of that here it's just like oh weird huh well on top of that Um, that in general we're talking about a a person with supposedly previously top secret secret clearance work for the department of homeland security like that's just ridiculous like that's like whether that was the only thing that was there or not that would i would be like well that guy well when you realize (laughs) yeah well when you realize that dhs was literally created to wage a war on domestic terrorism Mm -hmm. um that's important that he used to work for them. Right, right. I mean, it seems it, it's I, it's almost I would I would ask the question of why they would be so. Why do they want that to be? I mean, let me ask you the question based on your research on this topic. Is that something that seems that it was obvious they wanted people to see, or was it because somebody dug into it? Like, which that doesn't make sense to me? Oh, like, you mean the, the name, the, the base? I I think they no. know that most people don't know what Arabic don't know Arabic. So I mean, more specifically, the DHS sort of a saying or the government saying that he did work for them in the past. If this was what we're thinking it is, why would they do that? 
Like just your thoughts. Well, they could just justify it as blowback, whatever. But he all this this Nazaro guy also claims that he uh, didn't have these ideas until after he left U.S. government service. Okay, there it is. See this? I that's what just popped into my head. I keep seeing this talking about the retaliation, like setting up the narrative for how they claim Putin responds because we know his playbook. You know, like that's how they they're already telling you. Yeah, well, part could be that they set the narrative that he is. Once he went to Russia, he was radicalized by the Russian mentality. And that well, not even back- that, but there, there's been a broader, longer standing effort to paint uh, veterans of the military Good and point. other people with training uh, as as terror threats. So Good it point. all sort of loops together. It You're could right. be what you said, too. It, it really depends on how they decide to use it maybe they'll do both that's because <laughs> they don't point. care anymore right uh, they just... tend to have a lot of different potential avenues and we always got to remember that it's never you know there's clear agendas in my mind but i'm pretty like like with covid for example like my mindset would be that they they had factored in the potential that this wouldn't go the way they wanted it to and now they roll back and now we have another plan for when it's going to come back and you know like, th- mm-hmm. that's always how this tends to go it's never over hey well they have the plan to take it back to to covid it seems like because because they're like just wait we'll have to bring this back soon and uh yeah. here here comes the World Health Organization brand new I, pandemic treaty thing. And here is, um, you know, all these people saying, well, you know, this is going to have to come back. And there's this stealth sub variant of Omicron, uh, which was never really that deadly. But bah, the stealthy sub variant you should be scared of. And, you know, I mean, they, they have all this stuff. And then if that doesn't work, they'll be like cyber pandemic. And if that doesn't right. work, uh, climate change you know. lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I, yeah. I think that I'll I, just light it, a bunch of stuff on fire and be like, climate change did that. Yeah. Lockdown. I tend yeah. to think more so what you've <laughs> talked about in the past, or what, you know, we our interviews and discussions from the election special forward is that I believe that it makes more sense that they tie this together with like a biological weapon attack. Right. So then there's you got the virus potential out there. Then you've also got the foreign policy issue and you can blame it on a white. Yeah. Supremacy. Well, like, Russia did like a... say, right, that these bio labs were working on COVID. So a big, right. scary COVID variant could come out. It's worth pointing out Russia's government to a large extent has been fully behind the COVID narrative. Exactly. Um, and and, and uh, Ukraine's was, too. Uh, and most of these guys are actually, I mean, what government isn't in, into, into the COVID narrative, uh, a couple countries in Africa and, uh, they had their leaders killed off. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, check, so. check this check this clip out real quickly. I did this as an opening, but it, it plays Dr. Boyle saying something you can comment on, but it also plays a, a clip at the end that I think you just, it'd be, you'd just like based on your comments on the variant. Okay, let's see. So you know I have to go within like 15 it's, minutes. Yeah, um, it's 30 seconds okay. real quick. Based on my uh, staying on top of this field since about 1983 or so, it does seem to me that these uh, allegations by the Russian government are credible. Yes, and my assessment of these uh, bio, U.S. biowarfare labs in Ukraine and also surrounding Russia, if you take a look at the map, at the, they are all offensive biological warfare uh, uh, weapons facilities that uh, were being designed at some point for use against Russia. Two new coronavirus subvariants are currently sweeping the globe. So, should we be worried about these variants? What do we make of it all? That's all. <laughs> Don't you love that? I love the fact that she, like, that, she, I, I want to follow up and see what happened. She probably got, she probably lost her job. You know, did you, did you see that? She was like, you know, and that's her, like, she, she, she not towing the line. You know, and some people are over it. Um, yeah. Extreme people do. I mean, think about all the people that got tricked. 
you know, the people that are actually buying the narrative, but like somebody on an anchor desk like that on a small channel and they believed it up until now they're going like, really? Like I'm starting to see through it too. And like that, you know, now they're like trapped because they have to toe the line because their job. And it's like, I don't know. It's really interesting to see how this is kind of blowing up in front of them, you know, but do you have any comments for Dr. Boyle's statements there? And we, we can kind of, if you have to get going, we can kind of try to wrap it up here at the end. Well, but- yeah. So there was this, there, there's been this claim going around for years and it, and it, and it was, uh, it, it's come from like the Russian and also the Chinese governments of organizations tied to the U S military obtaining through dubious means, uh, sample DNA samples of, of ethnic Russians and ethnic Chinese. I think in China, it was like some Harvard group that the Chinese government said was, uh, shady. And then Russia, it was one of these, um, non Lugar centers. Um, was one of the people that was at least remember Charles, they were, what they were doing was bringing these samples from China back and forth in regard to China and the United States. So there's an, yeah. So the whole bio lab thing, um, uh, I, I have a couple opinions about that. So I sort of think, um, releasing something really, really bad. That's going to like wipe out a ton of people is not actually likely. I think it's sort of the same thing, same tactic that was used to control people during the cold war, mm-hmm. uh, which was the threat of nuclear annihilation, even though uh, the Soviet union and the U S had essentially agreed on mutually assur- assured destruction and they weren't going to use nukes, uh, right. but they scared, they, they used the fear of nukes to manipulate their populations um, d- d- during the entire cold war. Right. So similarly, when it comes to a bioweapon, um, they've unsuccessfully been able to generate an ethnically targeted bioweapon. There were efforts to do this uh, long ago. You Mm -hmm. could argue that maybe technologies allowed them to advance that. Um, But I'm doubtful about that. Um, I think instead, if they wanted to kill off a, a lot of people in a particular area, they'd use some sort of chemical weapons mm-hmm. sort of the the stuff that we posit or i posit on your show about like fentanyl and stuff right uh, in, in, really in iran during the covid stuff and and all of that you know i think that's maybe more likely um <laughs> but then again i don't i don't really know right but i think you know something releasing something like smallpox right which is really mm-hmm. common in these bioterror circles to like promote as like the next deadly thing um or whatever um is unlikely and i think that's why even though um like around the anthrax attacks dark winter and a lot of that orbit was really focused on smallpox right. but it was anthrax that ended up being chosen and anthrax is very different because it's not um contagious like smallpox is so you it it only you can only really do targeted killings with it in a particular area you have to touch the spore of anthrax to get it um whereas you know smallpox it like spreads like a thing you know and once you introduce something like smallpox which is a disease that's been eradicated you can't put that back in the can right so that's sort of like a nuke the bioweapon version of a nuke um and i don't think they'd do that um, because ultimately what they want, you know, the power elite, and you see this with like all the great reset agendas and um, through various other avenues that they just really uh, want control of everything for themselves. Um, and if they, you know, end all life, that doesn't really work. And there's no functional, uh, not actually a really f- highly effective smallpox vaccine. You know, it's not like 
a hundred percent effective. So even if let's say they saved it for themselves and they took it, so they wouldn't get smallpox if it got released, some of them would still die. I don't think they're going to take that kind of risk. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I would add two things and I've got two final things we could talk about before I let you go. But the idea of the Azov battalion, let's just say to talk about it specifically, I think it's larger than just that name, obviously, but that's the focal point that I believe sort of like with Syria, that they don't have necessarily entire full control over what these people do. Uh, Vanessa Bealey made a great point during the Syria discussions in the past that there's a lot of examples of, of the people on the ground, Hayat Terrell Sham or whoever it was in the moment, pointing at and potentially actually showing like, you know, here's a chemical attack they just waged. And for whatever reason, the government and the media just didn't talk about it. And her point was, there was a lot of them they kept trying to carry out and pointed at, but the Western press and the Western government were like, whoa, we can't be that ridiculous about it. It can't be like every 30 seconds, you know? So they just didn't point at all of them. And I think a lot of them are not necessarily what they would have wanted to happen. And so in this case, I believe that it would be likely that the Aza Battalion, let's say, is not necessarily under their control, that they're a wildly extreme group that just going to, that is aimed at these ethnic Russians or, and whoever else they're focusing on and might just carry it out themselves in hopes that the U.S. government would be forced to take action or forced to step in. You know what I mean? I think that's what they're trying to act. So I agree with you, but I'm concerned that that may be triggered by what's happening soon. But you're talking about a false flag thing, and that's like, and those were chemical. I'm talking about the biological weapon or, side. But false flag doesn't necessarily, in my opinion, mean that it doesn't happen. Like they could carry out an actual biological attack. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, Russia. but yeah, but in Syria, it was chemical weapons. Bioweapons oh, are I, like I just, a different I ball game. I agree. Yeah. I'm just sort of confl- I'm not necessarily in the art. The uh, the the discussion of which one, but more so just the false flag. And, yeah. And I mean, I mean, for people concerned about a false flag in Ukraine, I would see the chemical weapon thing as being more likely all of the the media that assets that were used to pump up the white helmets and stuff in Syria have all gone to Ukraine now. Right. Right. <laughs> or, but nuclear is another, another potential, right? The Chernobyl thing came up and I'll dig into that in my next show about where there's now saying that they did something in this Chernobyl research lab and they took something, but they also bombed it. It was really kind of contradictory, but if all they need to do is just create something and we know the Western press would just dutifully say Russia did it because that's what they would say, you know, it's frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't really know uh, what they're going to do there. You know, I'm not following the conflict day to day. That's why I'm focusing in large mm-hmm. part more on the blowback thing. Cause I think that's pretty obvious uh, what they're setting up to do there. Right. Um and I think ultimately um, they're going to keep this war going to advance uh, great reset goals, uh, which you're already seeing an extreme reduction in the supply of energy to Europe and the supply uh, of food uh, to Europe, not just Europe either. It's it's global um, at this point. Um, and that's going to have a, a huge effect because when people are cold and hungry uh they're more likely to agree to your authoritarian control so they can feed themselves and their families um so that's essentially where this is headed um and and i think they'll keep it going for as long as they they can really so you know um it's it's disappointing and um i don't know um there's also a lot to be said about you know um what's really going on here with the the broader global agenda and stuff and and russia and china um, are they in on it and all of that stuff? I definitely have uh, my own opinions, but I've really noticed that there's been a big rift mm-hmm. in independent media recently um, on that talking point. Um, sure. And uh, all I really want to say is that regardless of what, uh, how you feel, uh, we cannot afford uh, to 
hope that some political savior, even if it's, you know, uh, whoever it is, is going to just save us, Uh, particularly uh, of this uh, in the West. So if you want to think Russia are the good guys here and are opposing uh, the Great Reset, they're interested in, in that case, in that instance, in their national interest and they're protecting their national population unless you're living in Russia. Um, it's very unlikely that they will be saving you. Yeah, so there's, right. there's you know, uh, I would argue that the idea of have, uh, of looking for political saviors, period, is a trap because right. it has people, just like he went on, trusting the plan, hoping that, uh, someone's going to step in and do all of the work for us when really we have to do the work ourselves Yes, and build parallel systems. And I think to a large extent, you know, it, it sort of creates this, uh, oh, we can sit back in our armchairs and watch what unfolds because Putin has our back. Uh, like you did, right? If you want to go on the on the side of the camp that says, you know, Putin good uh, and, and opposes, um, you know, the Great Reset, he has the Russian people's back. If you in that instance, uh, that doesn't mean the people in North America. That doesn't mean the people in Europe. Okay, and also and, doesn't mean he actually is not supporting the Great Reset. I, I don't believe. Well, that no, I, I was I was saying if you if you right. take the position that he, you know, is the good guy, quote unquote. I don't mm-hmm. uh, yeah, because yeah. you know I I've done a lot of I um, I sort of side with uh, Ian Davis um, on this uh, to to a, a large extent. Uh, but for people that support, I'm I'm just mainly speaking to the people that uh, really uh, so, you know see them as, as the out to the 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 issue the world is in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's focused on his people's national interest. If you believe that, right. Right. Do you do you get what I'm saying? Oh, no, hundred percent. I I, okay. I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to suggest the what, what I'm trying to say that. is we can't um have we can't just de- place all our hopes and expectations on one dude, uh, regardless of what matter. you think. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter who it is. And I specifically would like to warn people against doing that with anyone who's a a leader of any nation at this point. Right. Or any um, political party or any kind of politically, there's these agendas yeah. are overtaking everybody. And they, like I point out with COVID or anything else, people will always rise up to meet that, to be the person, the Ron DeSantis, like, look, and I'm fighting for you. And really, when you dig into the legislation, it's clear that's not what's actually happening. You know, it's, it's, it's politically advantageous. Now, I, I know you're in, you're going to have to get out of here. Yeah, well, the last thing I wanted to say uh, on that point, though, is that I think some of this comes from people really wanting uh, to see the good guys somewhere because not mm-hmm. seeing any good guys in the situation is bleak to some people. And what I would tell those people is to stop looking for good guys, the quote unquote good, sty- good guys among the leaders of nation states, and instead realize that the good guys are among just the regular people that you're not going to see on the news. Those are the good guys and start building ties with those good guys right? Uh, right. and, and building a, a separate system. The world is full of good people. Uh, but some people are like, you know, Oh, I look at your work, Whitney and I, you only talk about how everyone's bad. And I'm like, well, I'm talking about governments and intelligence agencies and predatory corporations and crazy oligarchs. Um, so you're not going to find a lot of good people there, but right. you have to keep in mind that the good people are all around us. They're just, um, you're not going to hear about them on the news, right? So exactly. the political savior thing really has to stop. And if you think this is going to be solved at the the ballot box uh, and that all of the world's troubles will be solved by putting your hopes in one or two guys, I mean, we really, uh, I, I fundamentally disagree with that. Right. Um, 
And here, here's and I, I also uh, do. You want to point out that there? I think there should be a, a distinction between uh, thinking that the Russian government's uh, foreign policy is preferable to Western foreign policy, but not mm. necessarily uh, really liking uh, a lot of the stuff Russia has done domestically, specifically in the context of COVID nineteen mm-hmm. and and some other stuff, some of the biometric fourth industrial revolution stuff ongoing there. Um, right. Anyway. No, I, I agree. It's important to understand that it's not, it's almost never what it looks like, whatever we're talking about, especially in politics. To, to finish here on this point, to, to discuss that exact idea of the political savior here, this, this is, you know, obviously that's how Trump was perceived by a lot of people that thought that was the reality. I want to make this point, and I wanted your comment on the COVID thing, if you have time before you go, I want to remind you about that. But this, this is something that was from August 6, 2020. And during all of this, and this, of course, was reasonably close before the January 6th discussion, Justice Department seeks forfeiture of two commercial properties purchased with funds misappropriated from private bank in Ukraine, $70 million worth. And one of the people specifically was Ihor Kolomoisky, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Now, the point here is that this individual turns out to be one of the largest funders of none other than the Azov Battalion. Right. And this is the incredible, this is specifically discussing who funded them. And he is literally one of the largest oligarchs funding them. And so you find this interesting possibility of whether, you know, Trump was just being used as somebody to lay the narrative at his feet and whether he didn't understand, you know, I don't know. What do you, what do you take from that? Before I, well, I think he was absolutely used for that purpose. The question is, was he aware of that or not? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know. Yeah, Trump is a complicated guy. I, I've. I think I've learned a lot about him by doing a really extensive study on his mentor, uh, Roy Cohn, uh, for mm-hmm. my upcoming book. Um. And about um. You know, New York City politics in general and how it's been interlaced with organized crime for a really long time and is built on a system that Roy Cohn anyway called the favor bank system. Sort of these series of uh uh private. Uh, under the table deals made between power factions. So when you hear Trump talking about making a deal, I mean, that's the guy that taught him how to make a deal. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, basically. Um, and, and there's a lot of, you know, it's a, it's a system built on, as they say, unsavory alliances, hmm. um, you know, to get what they want. Um, would Trump have, or, or, you know, wandered into some unsavory alliances knowingly to get what he wants? Um I think so. Looking at who uh, his history and who's behind him. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, I just gave this whole spiel on political savior. So I uh, definitely don't definitely don't see Trump as that. Sorry. Oh, Um, yeah, I agree. with. And I think the whole thing of, oh, if we just vote Republican and we just vote for the other guys this time, that's not Biden. We'll get out of this mess. Every every no. few years we hear Have that. Have you right? learned nothing? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, my, my point to that would I'll be I'll try not to scream at people. Um, yeah. My point um, to that would be I that Trump know. ultimately, whether or not he was being framed, or whether just because he's the counter opposite, like just because he's not on their side, does not mean he's on your side. Like that's the binary. Oh, thing absolutely. Today, it's a, it's a different faction. Yes. For sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. I mean, there's so there's so much to talk about in this thing, and there's I really, always a lot to talk about. But I I should eat lunch. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I, I I believe I do believe that this is beginning to materialize, and exactly what you were concerned about, exactly what what we were talking about in regard to this being built in a way to lay the whether it's your body is a new battlefield or simply that you are the new focus of their battle. Yeah, and it's both clearly happening, and I think they're building this. And I think your work and this has been going on has mm-hmm. completely overcome this, and they're now changing the narrative. Go ahead. 
Well, people have to keep in mind, too, the whole domestic terror thing goes back to the 80s. If you want to hear me talk about the whole timeline, including Biden's role in it in a big way as far back as 1995, uh, all the way up to now. Uh, I did an interview a couple months ago with Robbie Martin of Media Roots Radio. You can Mm -hmm. go and listen to that episode and I will walk you through um, everything from then to now and Republican and Democrat alike um, have been setting this up. Um, and it's, it's very shady the whole time. And you could argue in the mid nineties with OKC and all of that, um, very much, uh, focused on the domestic element, uh, and and what we're seeing now in a, in a huge way. Yeah. I I think Um, we've just seen the narrative shift to being open to saying it, right? I mean, as we know from nine 11, they claimed a lot of being things out here, but they ultimately pointed the tools at us. And that's what happened. Right. And it, it's it's going to be that way uh, mm-hmm. for this, too, because the war on domestic terror, as I, I read about for T-Lab last year, is not just focused on the United States. It's through all the Five Eyes countries at right. minimum. Right. Uh, it's probably the EU, too. Over their um, so it's basically if you want to compare it to something, you know, it's like Operation Condor was, which was dreamt up and created, planned out the architecture of it by the CIA. But it was in South America. It was an information sharing, um, I guess, regimen uh, between uh, most of the countries in South America that were all being run by U.S.-backed dictatorships uh, to hunt down and murder dissidents, disappear them, um, things like that. And it was between all of these countries. So that's how it's going to be when they try and launch it here. It's going to be between the five five eyes countries at minimum um, and probably the EU. Mm-hmm. Well, get ready because I think they're building it now. And I think it's important that we continue to have these conversations. Well, Thank we you. have the challenge, the narrative before they get it off, um, right. get it off and running. Um, and the question is how many people still buy their crap? Uh, I think that's the big you question. Know, that's a good question to end on. I see. I, I have a hard, like, especially right now, I have a really hard time. You know, like I see this and I get frustrated like COVID with a lot of people where I'm like, why are everybody buying this? And then I stand back and go, are they though? But wait a minute. Same with COVID. I believe we exposed that the majority was not on their side. And I think the the percentages showed that. So I kind of believe the same thing now. Like I believe that they're framing this as everybody's on their side and they're using their companies to put Ukrainian flags on every. It's all, yeah. It's all about manipulating the perception of people. Um, and, um, people sure need to keep that, that in mind. Yet. You don't know how many accounts on Twitter putting all these likes on these dumb posts that are like, hooray, war, uh, uh against Russia and whatever, and mm-hmm. close the sky. You don't know how many of those are actually real people. You know right. what I mean? I'm sure <laughs> uh, some of them are, but I, I just, well, I don't, yeah, no I doubt. But we have to keep in mind that there's all these like AI powered things and the info war stuff. And the U S army has been really open about launching that stuff as early as last year. It's going on now for sure. Right. Um, with a big focus on, on social media specifically and a relatively small percentage of Americans even use social media if you think about it. So, uh, but they're trying to win the per the perception war. So they're waging mm-hmm. it through, tv they're waging it through the internet social media youtube there's their only tool is really censorship at this point um uh, on that stuff that's why it's really important to talk to people you know locally um because if the people locally don't buy the crap uh you know you'll be better off during this crazy war on domestic terror but i mean it's really an ambitious war anyway uh right because it's it's going after like more than half of the country (laughs) 
Um, so, you know, I don't think it's really going to be that successful, but I think the goal is sort of what Robert Reich was alluding to a hot civil war. That's where they want this to go. Um, yuck. So don't give it to them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I just, I just, I don't believe that the majority is buying this, especially with all the awareness that was created around the lies coming from authority in general during COVID and before. So hopefully we just need to you know, re- tap into that and recognize that. And at very least wishful thinking as always is that if we're not, we're not going to give up in any case, we're going to keep fighting. So thank you for being here and continuing to fight Whitney. And I really hope people will dig into your work, both on T-Lab and Unlimited Hangout and recognize that you've been talking about this for a while. So thanks for thanks, being Ryan. here. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, anytime. Well, as always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. The world is changing. And every counterterrorism professional I speak to in the federal government and overseas feels like we are at the doorstep of another 9-11, maybe not something that catastrophic in terms of the visual or the, um, uh, the numbers, but that we can see it building and we don't quite know how to, how to stop it.